Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. That was really lame, guys. Come on. Good morning. Hey, thank you. So if you're a kid, you're more than welcome to head on back. This morning we have Kids Refuge, we have Elevate and EGC, so feel free to to head on back to your appropriate rooms. Anyone a little bit older, we're going to stay in here. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Joel. I'm one of the elders here at Refuge. Uh, Normally Trey is up here preaching, but this week he is traveling. So um, this week and next week, uh, the elders are filling in. So hopefully, um, as we continue to walk through the the book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John, um, hopefully we're just continuing to go through and talk about kind of the same things that we've been, been trekking through. I'm really excited to actually be in 1 John this fall, because 1 John is a beautiful letter by the Apostle John to the church, and the themes that are in there I think are incredibly relevant for us as a church and as a people in both our current cultural moment and in how we operate as a church and how we function as God's people. And so For me, just tracking through it so far and continuing to read on as we're preparing to continue to preach and teach and understand 1 John has been incredibly helpful for me. And so I'm hoping that you are also experiencing the fruitfulness of this this letter. And so this morning, like I said, we're tracking through. We're continuing on in 1 John. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. and I, I say that now because if you want to flip to it before I get there, um, we're going to get there pretty quickly, and so I'm not going to pause a whole lot of time. So if you want to pull out your phone or whatnot to get ready to read it, feel free. So, so this morning, like I said, we're, we're jumping into 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. And this morning in particular, if you hear nothing else that I say this morning, this is what I want you to hear. God is calling us and commanding us to love one another with the love of Christ. That's what our focus is this morning. So let me pray, and we'll jump in. Father God, you are good and gracious to us. We thank you for the love that you have shown us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who came, who is incarnate, took on human form, who preached and taught, loved those around him, who ultimately died and rose again on our behalf. We thank you that we sit here because of what he has done. I pray that this morning as we continue to open up your word and understand more of your truth, that spirit, you will enlighten our minds so we can understand what you have done and what you are continuing to do in your people. I also pray that spirit, that you draw our affections toward you so that we will love you, our triune good God more. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our King. Amen. So I'm going to do something a little bit different than I normally do when I preach. This morning, to set up the passage, I'm going to uh, kind of lead us through what it would be like to be John in this situation writing this letter. So 
to do this, feel free to kind of lean back, rest a little bit, don't have to think too much, hopefully. Um, close your eyes if you want to, that's totally fine. And I'm going to guide us through, kind of imagine what John is thinking through, how, like, kind of the specific situation in writing this specific passage for this letter. So, imagine that you're John, you're sitting there next to your faithful scribe. The church, and man, you're sitting there on your chair, and it's hard, and you are old. <laughs> you feel you've lived over 80 years now, and God is calling you to continue to be faithful, even in the twilight years of your life, to love and serve the church, to continue to preach and teach to help the next generation of Christ followers know his commands. And so you're thinking back. You've already written the first portion of your letter, but you're thinking back now. What do you want to communicate? What do you want to say? How do you want the church to know Jesus? And so there's memories and various teachings that flicker through your mind, and then you land on something, something that you think is crucial that you want the church to know. You remember back to Jesus standing on a dusty road in some backwater town. You don't remember which one. They all start to run together. And he's surrounded by this crowd, and this crowd of people are hanging on every single word that he's saying. They're yearning for the eternal life, and you've seen it over and over and over again as the crowds come and listen. But in this particular memory, you, you remember the crowd kind of parting, and you see this group of upstanding Jewish citizens coming and approaching Jesus. They're put together. They're well-dressed. You see the tassels. You see, you see the boxes on their foreheads. They're, these are Jews of Jews. These are Pharisees coming from the local synagogue to challenge Jesus. And you remember this, in this particular instance, kind of the anxiety welling up in you as you see them approach. And one of them, the leader probably, he's dressed better than the other ones. You remember him approaching Jesus and asking a simple question to test him. This man asks, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And you remember smiling when that gets asked because you remember Jesus actually going through and answering this exact same question in other towns with other leaders of the Jews. And you remember Jesus' answer in this, particular in this particular moment. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Thinking back on that scene, you say, yeah, it's there. There, there was the teaching that Jesus was, was showing there was repeating the love of God, loving others constantly. That's, that's what I want to communicate to the next generation, but that's not it because I remember more of Jesus' teaching. Your thoughts filter start to think on some additional scenes. And there's one that stands out in particular, vividly in your memory. 
It's you and the rest of the disciples sitting around a table eating dinner with Jesus. The smell of lamb comes off the table and fresh baked bread. You, you're, you're laughing, you're enjoying yourselves, <laughs> teasing Matthew, you know, what you always do. And then you remember Jesus in the middle of the meal, out of nowhere, standing up, walking over, taking off his outer robe, kneeling down, grabbing a towel, tying it around his waist, and picking up a basin of water. You remember being confused and not really understanding what's going on. Everyone, all the disciples are silent around the table. And Jesus brings this basin of water over to Peter, kneels down, and starts to untie the straps of Peter's sandals. And you remember the look of horror on Peter's face. Jesus kneels down. He's kneeling there right in front of Peter, his smelly, disgusting feet. And Peter says, what? What are you doing, Lord? Are you washing my feet? And in his <laughs> all-knowing voice, treating Peter as a, as a child, like normal, Jesus says, you don't understand right now why I'm doing this, but you will understand afterward. And Peter is having none of it. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus just smiles. And he goes around. He washes all of the disciples' feet. And then you remember what Jesus says afterward. Do you understand what I have done to, done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. You remember later on that evening, Judas got, has gone out to betray Jesus already. And you remember Jesus turning to all of you and looking you in the eyes and saying, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You open your eyes, these memories flickering through. You say, that's it. That's what I need the church to know. And so you turn to your scribe and you say, okay, write this down. We get to our passage this morning. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. 
I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. So hopefully that was helpful in approaching our passage this morning. So John, when he's writing this, is probably in his 80s, maybe even in his 90s. Like I said, he's in the twilight years of his life. And his goal is to capture what he has heard, what he has seen, what he's looked on, what he has touched. He wants to describe Jesus for the next generation of believers. Right before our passage this morning, John has written and talked about how important it is that we are keeping Jesus' commands. In chapter 1, he actually talks about this as well. He says, we only have fellowship with God when we keep his word, when we abide in him, when we walk with him as he has walked. And so he lands in this specific passage with an actual command of Jesus. And he describes it kind of in a weird way. I'm not sure if you noticed. He never outright says what the command is. Maybe it's his, his years kind of starting to, to catch up to him, but he never actually says this command. It could also be that he thinks that those he's writing to should know this command already, that it's key, it's important, it's core to what they should know. And that's, that's somewhat fair. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Beloved, beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. And so he alludes to it a little bit later in the passage. In verses 9 and 10, he talks about hating your brother versus loving your brother. But the, com- the command here, like I said, it just isn't very clear. But as we look back on John's life, and we look back on Jesus' ministry and what he has taught, the command kind of comes to the fore. What, Jesus, what, Paul is, or sorry, what John is referring to here as the old commandment is something that you pick up and you see over and over and over again in the Old Testament and that Jews would be very familiar with. It's part of kind of when Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, it's the first part of that, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's actually comes specifically out of Deuteronomy, and it's repeated by Jews every single day. It's a reminder of who God is, what he has done, what we are called to do, what Jews are called to do. And so that would have been at the forefront of most Jewish people's thoughts. And so John here, alluding to that as part of the old commandment makes sense. And the response that Jesus gave to to the scribe in the kind of in that memory that John has goes right along with it. Love others as yourself. And that comes out of Leviticus 19:18. Two very common commands that come out of that come out of the Torah. And so maybe like I said John is expecting the people that he's writing to, to know these things, or at least know the stories of Jesus and how he's responded to, to this question of the greatest commandment. But it's also interesting that John here kind of switches up his language. He says 
you know, I'm writing you no new commandment. It's an old commandment. And then he says, eh, but it's also a new commandment. So once again, John's age, who knows? But I think, I think what he's alluding to is Jesus's new commandment that he gives to his disciples when they're eating, like we talked through. Jesus goes through and he refines the essence of the second part of his discourse on what the greatest commandment is. He goes through and he says, I'm writing you, sorry, he goes through and he says, love others as I have loved you. And this command is key to understanding what John is trying to talk about here. Jesus has subtly shifted, like I said, the old commandment to focus on loving others, but not just loving others, but loving specifically brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are his disciples. John says this in, thir- in uh, John, thir- sorry, Jesus says this in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is giving a new commandment, like I said, that is focused on loving others, but he changes the focus not just on our neighbor, everyone around us, but specifically those that are Jesus' disciples, those that are following after Jesus. In essence, he's calling us to love other followers of Jesus like we have been loved by Jesus. The implications of this are really profound if you stop and think about it. And it's profound because of how Jesus has loved you and me. Let's think about this a little bit. Let's jump into into Paul's letter to the Romans. So this is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, where Paul writes about what Jesus' love for us looks like. He says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebellious, while we were still alienated from him and hostile to him, Christ died for us. Jesus' love for us is shown in laying aside his power, his authority, And instead, while we were still rebelling against him, he came, he died on the cross, he took God's wrath for us, he took God's punishment for our rebellion upon himself, and loved us. So John speaks of us picking up this commandment, that it's key for us to understand and to know, and as Christians, to live in light of this command, to love one another as Christ has loved us, to bear with one another, even in the midst of hatred, to care for one another, even when we're, we're angry, or, or to be concerned for one another when we see scorn or abuse. Even in the midst of experiencing these types of things, we are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. Especially love one another because Christ has loved us. Because this is exactly what Christ has also experienced. This is truly what sacrificial love looks like. I think John drives this drives home this old yet new command of Jesus by telling us that if we don't love in this way, then we're still walking in darkness. 
So in verses 9 through 11, he says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eye. In essence, those of us who claim to follow Jesus but hate or despise or look down on a brother or sister in Christ still walk in darkness. That's what, that's what John is saying here. We don't know God if we hate, despise, look down on brothers and sisters. Notice what he doesn't say when he's giving this. He doesn't add any type of qualifications to this. Get ready. This might get, might get close to home. Whoever says that he is in the light and despises his brothers or sisters still walks in darkness. Unless mm, they don't vote like you, then it's okay. You can look down on them. That's fine. Or whoever says he is in the light and despises his brothers and sisters still walks in darkness. Uh, unless they don't agree with you on whether everyone should be wearing masks or everyone shouldn't then it's okay. Or whoever says he is in the light and despises his brothers or sisters still walks in darkness unless they don't agree with you on whether everyone should be vaccinated or not, whether people should be vaccinated or not, then it's okay. This includes hot button issues in our culture. But it also includes issues that are kind of insidious. They're the things that we kind of prop ourselves up and say, you know, I'm really righteous because I'm doing these things and those other people aren't. It could be simple things like looking down on brothers or sisters because of how they raise their kids, whether they send their kids to public schools or private schools or homeschool them. It could be the type of work that a brother or sister does, that it's, that it's below you. It could be in how they dress how much stuff they do at church or don't do at church, whether they read their Bible or they pray or they don't, what they use their money for, how they use their time, anything where we subtly feel like we're doing something right and we're doing something good and God should love us because of that is our own self-righteousness coming out and it's a perfect opportunity for us to look down and despise and hate our brothers and sisters. There's another aspect to this command. When Jesus, or when Paul, when Peter, geez, when John here uses the word hate, <laughs> I'll eventually find the right apostle, don't worry. When John uses the word hate here, it can mean despising, looking down upon, and it can actually also mean just what it says, hate. Many of us have experienced wounds and deep hurt from the sins that other Christians have committed against us. And it can cause bitterness and resentment and anger to continue to well up, continue to froth from the deepest parts of who we are towards those brothers and sisters. And the call here in this command is for us to lay aside that anger, that resentment, that hatred because Christ has done that for us. God has loved us in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our hate and anger and resentment towards him. He has come and loved us sacrificially. He's calling us to walk in this way. 
So John is reminding us of Jesus' old yet new commandment as he's writing these words. We're to love our brothers and sisters as Jesus has loved us. We're to sacrificially love one another, to bear with one another, to seek each other's well-being, even when it costs us. So in trying to think through this, I was trying to think through what are some of the times where I've seen this happen in my own life, where I've seen someone loving me even though it was costly for them. Um, Thank goodness none of you knew me back in college. I was a pretty big nerd. (laughs) I was not very cool. And I remember that there was an older guy in the college ministry that I went to who was just really, really, really nice. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of friends at the time. And I remember him specifically kind of seeking me out, grabbing lunch with me every so often, pulling me along as he went to hang out with his cool friends, uh, even though I definitely did not deserve to be in their group. Uh, It was, when I look back on it, I actually think about it as a sacrifice that he was willing to make to love and care for me. And I think about it because, you know, he drove across town to campus about two or three times a week to grab lunch with me and eat disgusting dining hall food. I don't know about you guys, but to me, that's a huge sacrifice. And I remember him once again driving across town to pick me up on a regular basis to, to drive us back to hang out with his friends. I didn't have a car when I was a freshman in college, and he did this over and over and over again because he wanted to love and care for me well. Now, these are simple ways in which he was sacrificially loving me. And the cool thing is, when I saw this happening in my own life, what it made me want to do is to know Jesus better. Because what he was doing is he kept talking about how Jesus had loved him, and he was doing this in response. That's exactly what, what John is calling us to when he's talking about this type of love. It's both big issues, it's small issues, it's ways in which we have to sacrificially give things up to love and care for other people. And that's why John says this is important because it leaves no cause for stumbling in our brothers and sisters. Instead, what they're seeing in our lives is Christ reflected to them. We're not causing brothers and sisters to stumble in their faith when we're loving them sacrificially, when we're giving up hatred, when we're not despising them. This is key. We're called to sacrificial love in these, in these ways. Now, there's, there's an important caveat to this that I do think we need to talk about. If we want to follow this commandment, if we want to follow Jesus in this old yet new way that he's calling us to live, if we want to live sacrificially as he has called us to live, we have to be meeting together. You and I can't love one another when we're not coming together in prayer, reading God's word together, worshiping Jesus together, living life together. We can't fulfill this command when we're not regularly meeting. We have to be fellowship, be in fellowship with one another to live this type of love. There's no way that you can care for me or I can care for you when you're hurting or grieving. There's no way that you can rebuke me when I'm sinning if you have no idea what's going on in my life. 
There's no way that you can rejoice with me when God blesses me, and there's no way that I can mourn with you when you experience loss unless we're meeting together, fellowshipping together, living life together as God's people. Jesus loved by giving of himself for you and me, and we're called to give of ourselves for one another. And we can only do this when we're in communion with one another, when we're living life and fellowshipping with one another. Now, the good news in all of this, because this, be, this might feel like a wait. There's a lot here that John is talking about. But the good news is even in this command, we know that we won't do it perfectly. That's exactly what John was talking about in chapter 1. He was talking about that, that, you know, no matter what, like our goal is to live life as Christ has called us to. But we know that we will sin. We will fall short even in this life that, that Christ is calling us to. And so because of that, we can confess our sins and he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is true not only in the beginning of the Christian life, but it is true of the Christian life as we continue to work and love and serve one another to fulfill these commands that Christ has given us. And the beautiful thing about it is, as we experience God's love over and over and over again, even in the midst of our failures, we see the sacrificial love of Christ continuing to be on display in our lives, and it calls us to love sacrificially those that are around us as well. Okay, I promise you, we're at the end. So there's a lot here that John is talking about. There's a lot that he's trying to do and say, but he's The fundamental thing is he's calling us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ has loved us. And so what we've been doing as we've been going through 1 John and throughout the summer is we've been trying to to attach what we're talking about in Scripture to various practices that we can put into play this week. And so this is what what I'm, I'm going to commit to and what I'm calling you to commit to as well. This week... As you're thinking about how do I pursue this old yet new command of loving, uh, loving my brothers and sisters as Christ has loved us, I encourage you, think of someone. Think of someone in our body here at Refuge and think about how can I love them with the love of Christ. I'm also going to throw out this caveat. No immediate family members. <laughs> Take the steps to sacrificially love and care for other people in the body. It's important. It's good. I'm going to commit to doing this. I hope you do. And, you know, it may take time. It probably will take time. And it will, could very easily take money to do that as well. But let's show the love of Christ. Let's follow this command that the Apostle John gave to us as he received it from Christ. Let us love and care and serve one another this week. And in doing so, let's trust that our sins are forgiven for Jesus' name's sake. Let's pursue this commandment together and let us love sacrificially one another. Let's pray. Father, you are good and gracious to us and we thank you that you have not left us in our sin and our misery, but instead you have sent Christ to save and redeem and restore us, your rebellious people. We pray that this week, 
as we go from here, as we contemplate what John has written down of, of Jesus' words, we pray that you will work in us, that you'll continue to convict us of sin, continue to call us to confession and repentance, but that we will also live in the joy and light of loving and caring and serving our brothers and sisters around us. We pray this because we have seen it in Jesus' example, and we are called to it. We pray this in his name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.